Hola, buenos dias, que tal? Welcome back to Behold the Man. I'm your host, Joe McLean. It's great to be back with you again this week. That was Kelly Pease and her song, One, off of the album Kelly Pease that she released in 2007. And you can find a link to her site on my site at www.catholichack.com. Just look for the show notes of The Fall of the Firstborn again, which is the title of today's show. We're going to be getting back to our study of A Father Who Keeps His Promises by Dr. Scott Hahn. We're still in chapter six, still looking at the life of Jacob and his sons. And we're going to see today, by the end of the show, prayerfully, if I can get to it all, that his first three eldest sons fall from grace and thereby default, sort of forfeit their you know, right to the firstborn blessings or status, which will have significant impact on the story to come with Joseph and Judah in particular. Well, before we begin, let's start with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. All glory and praise be to you, Almighty God, forever and ever. We come before you again to sit at your feet, to listen to your word, and we ask, dear Father, that you will send forth your Holy Spirit to give us the, the ability to soak up your, your word, your tradition, your salvation history, that it might just permeate our entire being, that we might have the grace to then go forth and share 
this good news with all the world, that we might know our family story so well that we can speak of it so easily, that it just rolls off of our tongue in casual conversation at the office, around our friends and our family members. We seek for this grace. We pray also for an end to an abortion, to the abortion atrocity here in this world. We pray for the dignity of all human persons from conception to natural death. We pray for marriage and the preservation of it in our society. We pray for children, that we might be fruitful, multiply, and fill the face of the earth, that we might raise these children for your glory. We pray for the repose of the soul of John Medeiros. May he rest in peace, and for the peace in our hearts and lives, that we might live the gospel in our daily lives, for your glory, for the building up of your church, and for your kingdom. We pray all this and ask Our Lady for her intercession. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. Well, previously on Behold the Man, a Father Who Keeps His Promises edition, we looked at the great race to conceive and bear sons for Jacob. We saw the jealousy and rivalry and all the, the conniving that was going on between Leah and Rachel. You know, who's going to have the most sons and who's going to have them first? Because for them, that meant status. Status within their society, which was their family. But status beyond their family, too. Because for a, a woman to bear many sons, you know, it gave her a pride of place. And so there was a whole lot of, uh, of surplanting going on between the two. It was sort of a, a microcosm of Jacob's life in his relationship with his brother and his father and his mother. And now uh, even with Laban, uh, you know, the, the father of his brides. And so it was very interesting to see that. We also saw the exodus of Jacob from underneath the yoke of Laban, who was totally, you know, milking this cow, so to speak. Pardon the pun, because Laban loved cows, if you know, if you remember from the last show. And so he was totally milking the graces God was pouring down upon Jacob and in increasing his own wealth and status as a result. He didn't want to see Jacob leave, but Jacob, he wanted to get out of there. And God called him back to his land, and so he, he was able to increase his own wealth, his own flocks, his own children, his own servants, his, his own possessions, and he made his way back home. But he had an encounter with Laban, because Laban came looking for him. But God spoke to Laban and said, don't harm the boy, leave him alone. Laban did catch up with him, but because of that, that encounter with an angel of God, he didn't put any hands upon Jacob, but he really wanted to. In the end, we saw a covenant relationship between Jacob and, and Laban, and uh, Laban blessed his own daughters and wished them well, and he was off on his way. That leaves Jacob to have to face his elder brother Esau. Now, we remember the whole, you know, drama between Esau and Jacob. Jacob supplanted Esau. He took the birthright from Esau. He took the blessing of the firstborn from Esau. Now, in his defense, Esau really didn't care much for those things until the blessing came. Then all of a sudden, he cared. But by then, it was way too late. So, Jacob sends out a messenger 
to go to Esau to let him know that he's coming to his servant, Esau. The messenger returns to Jacob, and it's not good. <laughs> the message is simple. Esau is coming to meet you with 400 men. <laughs> so that's where we left off last time on the show. And uh, this time we're picking up looking at chapters 32 through 36. We're again still in chapter 6 of A Father Who Keeps His Promises. And just a quote here from page 119, Dr. Hahn says, quote, 400 men. Greatly afraid and distressed, Jacob created an extravagant buffer zone between him and Esau. He divided all of his company and livestock into two groups. Then Jacob sent the first ahead of his own in hopes of appeasing Esau's temper. If his elder brother destroyed them, then he and those most dear to him could still escape. Jacob also prayed for deliverance and reminded God of his promises. He was returning to his own country a wealthy man, which would do him no good if Esau killed him and his wives and his children. But remember, God, you did say, I will do you good and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, didn't you? Jacob still hoped to receive the divinely promised blessings, even though he knew that he didn't deserve them. But just to play it safe, Jacob sent his servants on ahead with hundreds of livestock. When Esau asked to whom the animals belonged, the servants were instructed to say, They belong to your servant Jacob. They are a present sent to my lord Esau, and moreover, he is behind us. Unquote. So you see, you know, Jacob, he is not taking any chances here. He didn't really want to have an all-out fight with Esau for fear that he would lose way too much as a result. And so he's trying to play it very safe. He's trying to use some of that, that cunning that he, that he had uh, when he, he increased his own flocks with Laban. You know, he did that, that very interesting breeding technique, which brought him all of the lambs and it decreased the flock of Laban. So he's trying to use his brain here. But that night, after he sends out his gift, his present to Esau on ahead in droves, and he sends him out in sort of an interval, he remains at camp. He takes his wives and his children, his concubines, and he places them on the other side of the spring or the river. And there, he's all alone, okay? And he encounters a very mysterious figure. It's a figure that we'll come to find out is an angel of God or an angel of the Lord. We read about it in Genesis chapter 32, verses 22 through 30, quote, the, the same night he arose and took his two wives, his two maids, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream, and likewise everything that he had. And Jacob was left alone, and the man wrestled with him until the breaking of day, when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and Jacob's thigh was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go, unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, Your name shall no more be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men, and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Tell me, I pray, your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? 
and there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Phanuel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life is preserved. Unquote. Now, a couple of interesting points here. Number one, Israel. What does this name mean? It's very significant. Significant, rather. It means a prince of God, one standing upright, one who contended victoriously with God, having seen God face to face, and yet prevailed. This name would become the brand, the identity of the people from this day on. It would, he would be reminded of it again later on in a few chapters. However, this will become this central aspect that binds this, the people of God from here on. And we'll see how our Lord Jesus Christ, when he comes, he, makes, he takes extra care and effort to bring about the people of Israel back, to gather them back. And then also to gather in the Gentiles too. But the people of Israel... It starts here with Jacob, when he is renamed from Jacob to Israel, one having seen and striven with God and man and had prevailed. Again, we saw a hint of that in Rachel having wrestled with Leah and prevailed. We talked about that on the last show. But the Targums, which, as you know, I quote uh, from often, and I'll quote several times in today's show, uh, the Targums give a very interesting point on this episode. They actually name this mysterious figure. They give it a name. They call him Michael, an angel, a messenger from God. And this Michael, he needs to leave in the morning, in the sunset, because that's when the angels sing praise to God, and he wants to be a part of it. And it says, quote, And he said, Let me go, for the column of the morning ascendeth, and the hour come, when the angels on high offer praise to the Lord of the world, and I am one of the angels of praise, but from that day, from, I'm sorry, but from the day that the world was created, my time to praise hath not come until now. Unquote. I just found that a very beautiful image. The image of this angel desiring so much to, to get away. To go and praise God at, at sunset. The glory of the day is being revealed. I mean, just what an image to ponder on that. And this angel who's wrestled with Jacob all night and realized that Jacob's not going to quit. He is nothing, uh, if nothing else, he is, he is not a quitter. And so the angel showing to Jacob that this isn't just some dream, it's not just some vision, but it's real. He touches the, the hollow of the thigh and puts his thigh out of joint wounding him very easily and very quickly. It shows not only Jacob that it's real, he feels the pain, but number two, he shows that the angel could have, if he wanted to at any point, harmed him. But there was a point to this wrestling with Jacob the whole night. As Jacob wrestles with this angel, okay, he encounters God himself. God is there with him. Yet again, he is with him. Now, the encounter with Esau comes the very next day. Esau and the 400 men, they show up. All right, there's no more time. Time has run out. No more maneuvering, no more sending of gifts, droves, you know, livestock, men servants, maid servants. All of that is done. He has now have to, has to face his elder brother, whom he supplanted, you know, some 15 or 20 years earlier. And the time has come. So what does he do? He takes his family and he sets them in order of priority. He starts to line them up. First is the concubines and their children. Behind them, Leah 
and her children. Behind her, Rachel and Joseph. Now notice the stacking order there. This is about what's most near and dear to his heart. This is an order of priority. Could you imagine prioritizing your kids in order how you how you care for them, how you love them? Okay, because ultimately, if Esau gets upset and he starts wielding his sword, okay, what's going to happen? The concubines and their children get whacked first. Then Leah and her children. And finally, if, if they couldn't escape, Rachel and Joseph, who is most near and dear to him, would finally get, uh, get dispatched. That's, that, that to me was very strange. But you can tell that that's, that's what's going on in Jacob's life. But what does he do? He, after he lines them up, he puts himself in front of all of them. So no matter what, Esau would have to go through him first before he could touch any of his wives, concubines, and children. But what happens? Jacob goes out to his brother and bows to him seven times on his way to meet him. Again, the seven, very significant number. It's a covenant number. You know, this is signifying his subservience and his, his, uh, his willingness to, to subjugate himself to Esau in hopes of appeasing him. But this is a number of covenant, the seven times here. So very, very significant. But Esau, he doesn't whip out his sword. He doesn't start whacking people. He doesn't get angry. No, he's coming. And to, he embraces his brother. Jacob, he falls on his neck, a very endearing uh, vision or, or, or image we have from Scripture. To fall on his neck, is this is, this is him embracing his long-lost younger brother. He has obviously gotten over the grudge of, uh, of being supplanted so many years earlier. But Jacob doesn't trust this, even though this, there's this embracing. He still is somewhat cautious in the whole affair. Because Esau starts asking, who are these children? Who are these women that are with you? What is all of this livestock that you've sent this way? Okay? Jacob goes on to explain what's going on here. It's a gift to you, my lord, Esau. It's a gift to you that I would appease you, that I would find favor in your sight. And just seeing your face, it's like seeing the face of God. I mean, can you see how Jacob is laying it on a really thick here in hopes that Esau won't get angry and, and get the 400 men off their horses and come over here and just lay waste to everybody? He's just laying it on as thick as he can. Please, Lord Esau, don't kill us. Whatever you do, let us live. But Esau, again, shows no sign of anger or hatred in anywhere. In fact, he is just very gracious and generous here. He simply, uh, he might have brought the 400 men to, for a little bit of intimidation factor. You know, hey, there, there was a surplanting. There was a, a conniving and a trickery that went on between the two. So maybe he was trying to get a little even with the, the, the show of force. But ultimately, Esau doesn't show any aggression towards his brother or his brother's family or servants at all. And, in fact, Jacob has to beg him to accept the gift that he, that he has given. And ultimately, Esau does accept it and says, hey, why don't I accompany you all the way to, uh, to Seir, where I live? And there you'll make your home and we can be one big happy family. Oh, no, 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 that's okay, Jacob says. You know, the, the cattle, they're so slow, and the kids, they're tired. We don't want to over-push this. We don't want to drive too far, you know, so we're going to take it really slow. You go on ahead, Esau, and we'll catch up. 
okay? But uh, Esau's like, well, why don't I leave some men here and, and let them accompany you? Oh, why? What's the point, Esau? We'll make it eventually. We'll see you there. You go on ahead. We'll be okay. As soon as Esau leaves, Jacob's like, okay, we're going the opposite direction. We're just, I'm not going to trust this. This sounds too good to be true. He's going to go that way, and we're going to go a completely different direction. So uh, there was a little bit of uh, conniving yet again from Jacob with his brother Esau. He didn't want to trust the good intentions of Esau. He felt it was just too good to be true. So we read in, uh, in Genesis chapter 33, verses 17 through Genesis 34, 4, quote, And Jacob came to Succoth where having built a house and pitched tents, he called the name of the place Succoth, that is, tents, and he passed over to Salem, a city of the Shechemites, which is in the land of Canaan, after he returned from Mesopotamia of Syria, and he dwelt by the town. And he bought the part of the field in which he pitched his tents of the children of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for a hundred lambs, and raising an altar there, he invoked upon it the most mighty God of Israel. And Dinah, the daughter of Leah, went out to see the women of that country. And when Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, the prince of that land, saw her, he was in love with her, and took her away, and lay with her, ravishing the virgin. And his soul was fast-knit unto her, and whereas she was sad, he comforted her with sweet words. And going to Hamor, his father, he said, Get me this damsel to wife. Unquote. Now, notice, this town is named after the son, kind of like Cain did with his son back in Genesis chapter 4, verse 17. The town is called Shechem, okay, but Shechem is the prince, he's the son. The father, the king, is Hamor. So Hamor has a town, names it after his son. Shechem, the prince. It's the exact scenario that we read in Genesis chapter 4, verse 17, where it said, quote, Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. And he built a city and called the name of that city after the name of his son, Enoch. Unquote. Remember what we talked about back then? This is about seeking the glory of man, not about seeking the glory or the Shem, the name of God. To name the city after your son is to seek your own name, to seek your own glory, your own lineage. Instead of being like Shem and seeking the name of God most high, there's a, a, a very big difference between those two things. And here, again, we see this in the land of Canaan. Here we see, once again, man seeking after himself instead of after seeking after God. But Dinah, this is the tragic story here. Dinah, the daughter, the only daughter of Jacob, okay? She was the daughter of Leah. And she goes out. She's about 15 years old here. And she goes out into the land. There's some kind of festival going on. And so she's trying to hang out with, uh, you know, with the, the ladies of this little city. And the prince, Shechem, sees her. He takes her. And he ravages her. He steals her virginity. He, he defiles her. Okay? Now, he obviously feels very uh, drawn to her. He's in love with her, if you will. But she's sad, and so he speaks sweet words to her. Now, notice, he, he, he wants to comfort her, 
but he doesn't want to let her go so that she can go back to her father and brothers and family so that she can be comforted by them. No, he keeps her there in his house, not letting her leave, trying to trying to sweet talk her. And then he, ultimately he goes to his dad and says, Dad, here's what's going to happen. I want to marry this woman, so you go make it right. You go make it right. You go talk to Jacob. You talk him into it. Make sure I can marry this girl because I, I want to keep her. I want to make what I did right now. Even though I did wrong, I'm going to somehow make it right. So there's this interesting dynamic what's going on. And of course, Hamor goes out there. He's trying to save his son. You know, oh my, what have you done now? Even though scripture tells us that Shechem is the best of his whole house, that he's the most righteous of his whole house. And yet this, the most righteous, goes out and ravages a young girl. Not good. (laughs) That does not speak highly for that house. So what happens? Hamor goes out to speak to Jacob. And of course, Jacob's sons are out in the field and they don't really know what's going on, but they hear about it. And so they come in and they're pretty angry about the situation and they're engaging in the conversation and Hamor and his son Shechem are there trying to talk him into allowing Dinah to marry Shechem. And so the sons, the chip off the old block, they use a little bit of conniving just like their daddy has done on many occasions. And we read about that in Genesis chapter 34, verses 13 through 18. Quote, The sons of Jacob answered Shechem and his father Hamor deceitfully. Because he had defiled their sister Dinah, they said to him, they said to them, We cannot do this thing to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised, for that would be a disgrace to us. Only on this condition will we consent to you, that you will become as we are, and every male of you be circumcised. Then we will give our daughters to you, and will take your daughters to ourselves, and we will dwell with you and become one people. But if you will not listen to us and be circumcised, then we will take our daughter, and we will be gone. Their words pleased Hamor, and Hamor's son Shechem." Shechem rushes out to fulfill this request to circumcise all the men of their city. This was a a covenant making, you know, this was the the, the covenant between God and Abraham and his his family that's passed down now through, through Isaac and now Jacob and his sons to covenant themselves by by tearing by cutting off the foreskin and circumcising themselves. This was a very big deal, especially to an adult man. Okay, I've seen this done to my my baby sons. This is not a pleasant deal. Imagine being an adult male having to go through this. Well, Shechem, who is eager to make this right, eager to marry Dinah, he goes out with his father to the gate of the city, and he talks all the men into it, and they all get circumcised. Okay? And so now they're all in pain. Okay? They're not feeling feeling too good about this, but they made a deal. Okay, look, guys, let's just do this, because then we'll be one big happy family. All of their goods will be ours, and they can all use the land, and we'll marry their daughters, and they're ours. You know, the whole deal. We'll all be one big happy family. But then, on the third day, it says, when all the men were sore and in pain, Jacob's sons sneak up to the city, specifically Simon and Levi, okay, they sneak up on the third day and they bring death to this city. One day, another son of Jacob, on a third day, he will bring life to all the world. But this day, on the third day, the sons of Jacob will bring death. They bring their swords and they cut down every man in the city. 
And then the other sons, they come and they plunder the city. Now, they did this because the, the virgin, their sister, was defiled. And I thought that was very interesting. There is a link. Uh, there is a very significant image here of the virgin. We read about it again in the Targums. It says, quote, And Jacob said to Simon and Levi, You have made my name go forth as evil among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and Pezzarites. And I am a people of small number, and they will gather together against me and destroy me and the men of my house. And Simon and Levi answered, It would not have been fit to be said in the congregation of Israel that the uncircumcised polluted the virgin and the worshippers of idols debased the daughter of Jacob. But it is fit that it should be said that the uncircumcised were slain on account of the virgin and the worshippers of idols on account of the daughter of Jacob. Shechem bar Hamor will not now deride us with his words, for as a whorish woman and an outcast who hath no avenger would he have made our sister if we had not done this thing. Unquote. Now, I have not totally thought this through, but there is some foreshadowing here, some linking, because one day a real virgin who will bear Emmanuel to the world, and that Emmanuel will not only reconcile the sons of Israel, but also the Gentiles too. Now, that's two sons down, Simon and Levi. They're now in disgrace for, for acting without the consent of their father. But yet, there is another, okay? The eldest son, the eldest son, Reuben. He goes out in Genesis 9, 20 and following, like Ham did with his father Noah, looking upon the nakedness of his father, which meant he had ancestral relationships with his father's wife, to steal the authority. Reuben does the same thing in Genesis 35, verses 21 through 22. He sleeps with Billah. He tries to steal the authority of Jacob, but it doesn't work, and Jacob has no part in it. And so now Reuben is disgraced. So the three eldest sons of the sons of Jacob, Reuben, Simon, and Levi, are all disgraced. They've circumvented their own firstborn and blessings, the, el the blessings of the eldest. So that's where we're at. Until next time, may God bless you. From the Catholic Underground.